Brothers and sisters, would you open up to my favorite book of the Bible? I don't hear a lot of rustling pages, so that would be Ephesians. Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. And today we are going to be doing a, a sermon series, or a mini standalone sermon series, just one Sunday, called DNA. Recovering the Heartbeat of a Healthy Gospel-Centered Church. And we are going to be looking at a number of different passages this morning, but the primary thing I want us to be looking at and kind of have in the background is Ephesians chapter 1. This is kind of Paul's message beginning to share the good news that he is, is sharing with his, this church in Ephesus. And he kind of sets a groundwork about describing them and then going on describing the church. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Would you please stand in honor and respect for the word of God, which is actually God's word for us today. Starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He is making known to us, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, in, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And now to the church. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what it is to hope what it is, the hope to which he has called you. 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the, in the saints? And what is the immeasurable power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, which when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and a dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There are tons, tons of books out there about healthy churches. If I could just show you a few that are on my list, are on my shelves. Here's one by C. John Miller. Outgrowing the Ingrown Church. Tim Chester wrote, The Total Church. Another one by Glenn Damon is The Forgotten Church. Or how about this one? Neighboring Church. Each book seems to have its own little important thing that it wants to get across and just say, man, for you to be a healthy church, these are the things that you need to be about. As we are moving into September, which is typically kind of the, the kickoff season again for the church, as we start our ministries up again, as we start doing different things and looking outside, even though we're supposed to be doing this 365 days a year, this is kind of typically the, the kickoff season again. And so as we start, we don't know what the next four months, but you know, we're looking forward to the new year and hopefully in 2021, it is gonna be a brand new year. It's not going to look anything like 2020. We don't want to have a, a revisit at this again. So, but we're kind of looking at this as our kickoff of our new year. And we've got to be thinking, what is it going to be like? What are the things that we as a church need to be focusing on? We've had changes in staff. We've had changes in how we do worship. And we've had changes in jobs and all that. So how are we in this time of flux and change and disruption going to be focusing? The different books give us different kinds of things that we need to be looking at. Ways to be a healthy church, a thriving church, a dynamic church, a worshiping church. And they list all kind of general features. Every book kind of has these different things of if you want to be a, a healthy church, these are the things that you must do to be truly healthy and to really grow. But one pastor that I have a strong affection for by the name of Tim Keller has wisely, I think, kind of suggested that you kind of can distill everything down into three major categories. 
three major categories uh, of what church growth principles that we need to be working on. Three. So it's much easier than six or 12. We'll stick with three. And here they are real quickly. Sound doctrine. Secondly, a continuous, continuous renewal by the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, a contextualized philosophy of ministry. Contextualized philosophy of ministry. So from this, I'm going to kind of pull together this phrase. This is kind of our, our theme. I put it in the bulletin for those of you who are note takers or, and want me to repeat things. It's all in your bulletin right there. But this is kind of the phrase. If Missio Day Church is going to be growing, it's going to be healthy, it will be because we are a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered church that loves our neighborhood. We're going to be a gospel-centered church, spirit-empowered church that loves our neighborhood. That loves our neighborhood. So let me explain what I mean. Gospel-centered. Gospel-centered nowadays tends to be kind of, the, I think, an overused phrase. Everything is gospel-centered. And, but Tim Keller said that churches, true gospel-centered churches, are churches that need sound doctrine. In other words, we need to actually get the message correct. There is truly a message that needs to be done correctly. And the message that we need to get straight and correct, most of all, is what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Why? Because Paul says that the gospel is actually the power of God for salvation who believes. It's the, the gospel, the right understanding of the gospel and applied to our lives is actually powerful. It's powerful. And he says it is, it is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages in generations, but now it is disclosed to people. It's understandable. This gospel is a simple message. It is how we have received, according to 1 Peter 1, it is how we have received a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish and will never pass away. It is, as the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, it is the good deposit. It is the good deposit to us. So more than anything, if our church, if our church is going to grow, we need the gospel. We need the gospel. And if we don't have the gospel, the reality is we don't have anything. All we have is a social club, a morality booster. If we don't have the gospel, we don't have anything. If we have the gospel, we actually have the power of God to everyone who believes. So let me explain, because I think that this is actually important. It's critical. If, if we want to be a gospel-centered church, then we need to understand what is the gospel. And some of you are going, man, I've been raised in the church all my life. Get on to point number two. No, I will not. We need to understand and be able to articulate clearly 
what is the gospel? And if you get tired of hearing about the gospel, it's time to examine your own heart, right? This is the good news. And we should never get tired of hearing good news. So, there are really, when you get down to it, three ways to live in our, our world, in our time. And I want you to think about the parable of the prodigal son. One way to live is to be like the prodigal son. To squander our lives away in just wild, crazy living. If you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son, he said, Hey, Dad, I want all my inheritance. I'm going to go off to a faraway land. I am going to indulge in whatever sensuality makes me happy. I will do, I'll spend it on anything. I will give away my body, my soul, my time, my everything to fulfill me. And these, these are the people who know that they are sinners. You, you can listen to them. You can talk to them. They go, oh yeah, I enjoy this. I do this. What to do? This is, this is so much fun. They're not even sure that they even believe in God, but even if they do believe that there is a God, they're not sure that they're, they're really measuring up. These people need the gospel. So that's, that's one section, the prodigal son type. But then there's another way to live. And the second way to live is just as lost as the first way of living. Remember the prodigal son had a brother. And some people love to make the brother a hero. He was the good son. He was probably the oldest son. Most. How many of you are firstborn? You, you understand this then, right? Man, I do everything that my dad says. You should be happy with me. I'm an overperformer. I, I please you. I work hard. I got a good work ethic. And those younger brothers, younger sisters, man, they don't understand. Kids. And so you have this, this older brother who stayed at home and he, he never rebelled, really. And he did. Dad never saw it. And he was smart enough to cover up. But he said to his father, I have been slaving for you. And I have never, this is crazy, I have never disobeyed your orders. That's what he said in Luke 15. I'm slaving for you. And I have never disobeyed your orders. There is, there is a way to live that is morally upright and law-abiding. It's about following the rules. Maybe, maybe even about rules about going to church, attending church, and doing the right thing, living kind of the lifestyle where you are the stellar, shining example of what it looks like to be a man, a woman, a child, a good worker. You are doing everything properly. But this, is, this way of life is actually equally law. Because when we live this way, we are acting... And this is something that I have had to work through as an oldest son. 
We are acting as our own Lord and Savior. Look at how good I am. I have never, never disobeyed. Look at my righteousness. Look at my holiness. When we live this way, our trust actually isn't in God. Our trust is actually in ourselves. The, the prodigal son and his morally upright, or maybe I can say morally uptight brother, were both equally lost. Both of them. You can be irreligious and lost, but you better be sure that you can, you can definitely also be religious and lost. Irreligious and lost? Religious and lost. The gospel has nothing to do with moving from irreligion to religion because both are essentially the same. In both cases, we still can be lost. So the gospel is actually about a third way to live. The gospel is not that we are righteous before God and therefore God owes us something like the, the prodigal son's older brother. It's that God actually demonstrates his righteousness through Jesus Christ and then freely, freely gives us his righteousness. It, it, 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who knew no sin, he, he gave us his righteousness so that we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel is that Jesus died, the righteous one. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again to bring us salvation. It's simple. The gospel isn't good advice about what we have to do. It, isn't, it is actually good news about what Jesus has actually done for you, in spite of you. The gospel isn't just the means of salvation, but it is also the way that you and I grow as Christians. It, Tim Keller is known for saying it's not just the ABCs of the faith, it's not just the the facts of the faith, but it is actually the A to Z of the, the Christian faith. It's the beginning and it's all the way, it takes us all the way to the end. And that's why Paul wrote to Timothy and said, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season and correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So Paul is saying, listen, Timothy, keep on preaching the good news. Why? Because people tend to go back and be the older brother and they slide into upright, moral kind of behavior and they've forgotten the gospel and they have become their own gods and become the prodigal son, trying to sell everything off and go off and live lives of sensuality, anything that makes them happy. Timothy, keep preaching the good news in and out of season. Correct, rebuke, put people back on the straight and narrow, following after Christ. The gospel has to be a part, my friends, of everything that we do. When we are doing the Manhattan, uh, doing meals for our Manhattan neighbors, 
The gospel has to be centered around everything that we do. It cannot just be about serving them hot dogs, Chicago-style hot dogs. It has to be more than that. When we open up this place, and we'll see what happens in October, but for trick-or-treat pit stop, it can't be just about being a nice, warm place where we offer them food and candy and games. It has to be centered around the gospel. Our worship cannot be just about singing songs that make us warm and fuzzy. Oh, I love that song. It has to be centered around what? The gospel. Everything that we do, every message, every ministry, every missional community meeting, every action that the church does has to center as its motive the gospel of Jesus Christ. That has got, we have got to be a gospel-centered, gospel-motivated church. But not just that. We also have to be spirit-empowered. So I'm going to try to move a little bit quicker. If the main focus is spirit-centered, we also have to be spirit-empowered. Our ministry must not only be just about, even though that is primary and central, gospel-centered, we also be spirit-empowered. So we need this continuous, continuous renewal by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what J.I. Packer had to say. The Christian scene today in the Western world highlights the importance of attending to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The lack of divine energy and exuberance in most congregations, even some of the most nationally, notionally, notably orthodox, is painful to see. It's painful. He goes on to say, the current quest of, for church renewal demands that we get clearer in our minds about the divine renewer. It is as if God is constantly flashing before us on huge billboards the message, remember the Holy Spirit. Flash, flash. Remember the Holy Spirit. We study and we discuss God, Christ, body life, mission, Christian social involvement, and many other things. We pay lip service to the Holy Spirit throughout. But... We are not yet taking him seriously in any of it. In this, we need to change. The lack of divine energy and exuberance in most congregation. Even the notably orthodox. If anything, the more orthodox that we become, the more that we understand Scripture, the more that we understand the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the more energetic and more exuberant you and I should become. Amen. Right? Let's do it. I mean, seriously, we should... And some of these words scare people. We should become charismatic. I know, Presbyterians. 
It's scaring you. But there is something about us where we actually need to be spirit-empowered. Pentecost, even the, the story of Pentecost, it reminds us more than anything they, that the spirit would renew, revive, and empower us. So don't, don't ever think that we have the power in ourselves to accomplish what God himself can only accomplish. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit to move within us individually, and we need the Spirit to move among us corporately. So my question is, do you believe this? We have the message of God and the power of God, and we will be a church that can be used by God. So let's talk a lot about the gospel in this upcoming year. Let's, but let's also spend time in prayer. In prayer, asking for the Spirit to renew our minds and to show us His power to do what only He can do. When we are gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, tuned into the work, person and work of the Holy Spirit, as we walk out these doors, our eyes and our hearts will be attracted to other conversations and things going on in people's lives. We'll also notice in this room as we gather together, hurts and pains and hang-ups and ways that we can encourage and minister and care for one another that we have never done it before. It'll take some of our most stoic people here that being spirit-empowered will take our most stoic people here and make them most pliable. But let's move on. Third and last point. To be a community-loving kind of church. Gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, and community-loving. This is where Missio Church, Missio Day Church, becomes different from any other church that exists. And this is not tooting our horn and saying we are so much better than any other church, but it should make us unique. This is one of our greatest needs and it is something that I believe that we have to address in our upcoming year. Tim Keller talks about uh, a contextualized philosophy of ministry. So out of all the churches in the world that exist, there are thousands of churches that exist. God has put us in this particular place for such a time as this. He has put us at 360 South Park Street in Manhattan, Illinois, 60442 for a purpose. Yes, it is a building, but it is a physical presence for whenever this body gathers together. He has also given you a zip code and an address. And so, for us particularly, as a corporate body of believers, we are not called to be, hear this, we are not called to be a Parkview Church. We are not called to be Revolution Church. 
We are not called to be Peace Community Church. We are not called to be Covenant Presbyterian Church downtown Chicago. Everybody has their own context for ministry. We are put here in this postal code because God wants us to be Missio Dei Church, to, to learn the shape of ministry in our community, to know the names of our neighbors, to know their needs, their hurts, their pains, to actually live in this area and say, I know you. I see you. I know where you shop. I, I know what's going on in your family, and I want to minister to you. There are, there are two kinds of churches in our world. One that says to the community, you come to us, and you learn our language, you learn our interests, and meet our needs. When you come in as a guest, the first thing that you have to learn is learn how to uh, be like me. And dress like me, talk like me, sing like me, you be me. What a terrifying idea. Then the other kind of church says this. We will come to you. We will learn your language. We'll learn your interests. And we will meet your needs. Only this second type of church imitates when Jesus uh, became human and moved into our world. God is calling you and me to discover what it is that he wants us to do in our immediate community. So when you hear the call from your elders or missional communities to say, hey, let's go rake leaves. Hey, let's serve the elderly. Hey, let's do this. Let's do that. I, I want you to immediately go, this is an opportunity for, for uh, us to be gospel-centered. This is an opportunity to be empowered and allow the Holy Spirit to move within me and our church as we meet needs within our community. But it doesn't have to be just us corporately. It can be you as missional communities. It can be you with your closest friends. It can be you as a family unit. You as an individual saying, I am going to serve my neighborhood right where I am. I am going to be using this deck that I built where I put my grill and we are going to use this to share the gospel. This is what we are going to do. We are going to have an open door an open door policing our neighbors into our lives and going to them and saying, I want to get to know you more than what you do for a living. I want to get to know you. And that's it. It's simple, my friends. If we want to be a healthy, vibrant church that grows, and I'm not just talking about numerically but grows spiritually in depth and by God's grace numerically then we have to be a gospel centered church that is spirit empowered and loves our neighborhood and here's why it's so important Paul wrote in Ephesians 3 
that God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Paul has, has been writing about how, the, how Christ came to break down the walls of divisions between the, the Jews and the Gentiles, which was at that time the greatest division uh, taking place. And God has made them one people, one people through his death on the cross. And then Paul goes on and describes his life's work and how it fits into what God has been doing. And then he gives us the purpose of the church. And you can find definitions on the purpose of the church all over. You can find books on the, what is the mission of the church all over. But here in Ephesians uh, 3, Paul says, listen, the purpose of the church, according to Paul, is to display before angels and demons the multifaceted wisdom of God. There's spiritual activity that is going on when we are actually gospel-centered and spirit-empowered, loving our neighborhood. If someone would ask you, hey, so why does Miss Day Church exist? This is the answer. To show the angels and demons the wisdom of God. Why? By showing His plan of redemption has worked and is so great that it has created a new community of people that has overcome social barriers. And it, this good news has actually unified us. Satan's goal is to divide In God's wisdom, he has brought, given us the good news to unify us to make us whole so we don't exist as a voluntary association we we don't exist hear this we don't exist to make you happy i felt good let me say it again we don't exist to make you happy we exist so that angels and demons know that the gospel is real because they, they see the evidence. They see the evidence of the gospel in the life of this church. Angels and demons are peering down. They are watching and they're going, it's true. Jesus Christ is Lord. Angels are applauding. Demons are going, oh no. Which became the mirror through which the bright ones of heaven see the glory of God. Think about that. The church became the mirror through which the bright ones of heaven see the glory of God. When they look at the church, they see God's redemption at work. The church is the theater for the display of God's wisdom. It's at work in your life. So that's why this is so important. And speaking on this passage, John Piper says this. The church of Jesus Christ is the most important institution in the world. 
It's not second to the, or the Democrats or the Libertarians or your workplace. The assembly of the redeemed, John says, the assembly of the redeemed, the company of the saints, the children of God are more significant in world history than any other group, organization, or nation. The United States of America compares to the church of Jesus Christ like a speck of dust compares to the sun. I love it. He goes on to say, the drama of international relations compares to the mission of the church like a kindergarten riddle compares to Hamlet or King Lear. And all the pomp of May Day in Red Square and the pageantry of New Year's in Pasadena, Pasadena fade into the formless gray against the splendor of the Bride of Christ. The gates of hell the powers of death will prevail against every institution but one, the church. Trevin Wax said this, though no church is perfect, amen? And the universal church often looks more like a cheating spouse. I identify myself with this bungling bunch of believers. The church is home. The church is God's beloved. The church has been bought with a precious, with precious blood. Though the presence of the kingdom is not as intensely felt in the church as I would like, it is the sign of the kingdom in this age, faults and all. And if Jesus is content to give his life for an unruly church, I must find satisfaction in serving his church with all my heart and soul. Because he died for her, I live for her. That should shape the way that we look at ministry inside and outside of the church. That Jesus was content and happy and satisfied and longing to give his life for the church. Unruly bunch of kids. Therefore, we must find satisfaction and joy and longing to serve his church with all of our heart and soul. So the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places, my friends, are actually watching. On top of that, so is the world around us. Let's show them by the way that we live, believe, and function as a church that God's plan has not and will never fail. Amen? Amen. Gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, community-loving, that is going to be our mantra for the next year and beyond. It's not a quick fix. It's who we are to be. Let's pray.